I want to tell you a story. I want to begin. Uh, this is a story of a man named Ken Davis, pretty famous uh, Christian speaker, author, speaks all around the world. He's a pretty funny guy. Most of the stories I've read of his are, are very hilarious. This one is not, but it's my favorite of his story because I'm a dad. Ken Davis has a daughter named Tracy, and when she was a teenager, she went through this, this period of time where she just refused to say, I love you, to her dad. And if you've ever had kids, if you don't have kids, you may think, well, what's the big deal? Why do you need so much affirmation? But if you ever have had kids, just think about you had this girl who, who once looked up to you and you were the man in her life and, and I love you came out of her lips just as clear as can be. And then all of a sudden she stops. And Ken would, would talk about whenever he would say, I love you, Tracy, she'd say, yeah, me too. And that's all she'd say. And one time he, he tried to really drive home the point, you know, he, he took her by the shoulders. He said, listen, Tracy, when I say I love you, I really mean I love you. So I love you. And she said, whatever, dad. And it was like a, a knife through his chest. It was, it was the most painful thing that had ever happened to him. And then came the day when she went off to college and she was going off to this little Christian college, uh, quite a distance from their home. And so Ken and his wife drove Tracy to their college, to the, to the college, and he carried all the all her baggage upstairs and got her all situated in the dorm. And as they walk out to the parking lot and they're about to drive away and he's thinking, okay, now, now she's going to say, I love you because this is, this is a big moment. She's, she's leaving the nest and we won't see her again till probably Christmas. And he says, I love you, Tracy. And she said, yeah, me too. And you know, that's a long drive home for any parent. Take it from me. But it was even longer for, da for Ken Davis that day. And then came the day that he was called by the chaplain at that college and said, would you come and speak to our, our chapel service at the, at the university? And he did, but he was so afraid. I mean, he, he speaks all the time to thousands of people, and yet this time he was terrified because he knew his daughter would be in the crowd because she was required to be there. And what would she think? Afterwards, the chaplain took him to a little Italian restaurant nearby, and they were eating pasta, and he reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a stack of index cards. He said, well, every time we have a new speaker, we have the kids evaluate them. You got some great comments. Let me read them to you. So he went through the stack, and he was reading comments to Ken, and he got to the last one. He said, I'm not going to read this one because I think this is going to be particularly meaningful to you, and he slid it over to him, and on the back side, there was just the name Tracy Davis, and he said... You know, I'm, I'm a fearless person. I never get afraid to speak in front of thousands of people. I've confronted people. I've, I've done bold things. I've, I've jumped out of airplanes. I, I'm a pilot, and I've landed in places in Alaska no one else will go. But he said, I, I just I couldn't bring myself to turn that card over. I, I was just terrified of what was on the other side of that card. And finally, finally he did, and he saw the words, I love my dad. And he spewed pasta all over the table, and he had to excuse himself, and he ran to the bathroom, and he burst into the first, uh, first stall he found, and he just cried out, Jesus, she loves me. Thank you, Lord, she loves me. And then, that's when he realized there was a guy in the stall. So it got <laughs> rather awkward, but okay, I lied, so the story is a little funny. But you think about it, when Jesus was looking for a metaphor to describe how God feels about us and what kind of relationship he wants with us, he said that God is like a father to us. He even said, if you earthly fathers, you think you love your children and you're sinners, that pales in comparison. How much more does your father in heaven love you? Now think about it. He doesn't just love the people in this room. He doesn't just love the people who are sitting in church pews right now. He loves all the people. 
with that same love. And some of those children, many of those children are away from home. They've run away from him, and he wants them to come back. And we're doing our Heavenly Father a great service when we love those lost children and do whatever we can to influence them to come home. You know, people love stories. They love stories. I mean, we're here in the, in the middle of this series, uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian, and, and you're hopefully going to your life group and enjoying uh, those lessons that, that draw you uh, and equip you and help you to see how you can influence others for God. We looked last week at the idea of, of being a confrontational witness. Sometimes that's exactly what is needed. We, we looked at the Apostle Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost and speaking very bold truth to a crowd of strangers, and 3,000 people got saved. And we talked about how for some people that's natural. That is a natural way to share our faith because you're in leadership or you're in sales of some kind or you just have a very outspoken personality. And for you to go up to a person, maybe even a person you've never met before, and say, here is the truth about Jesus. Now, what do you say? And just require a response. That's, that comes naturally to you. For the rest of us, not so much. But even for the rest of us, there are times when we recognize a confrontational approach is needed, and we need to be ready for that. But there are other ways to share your faith. People love stories, and your story matters. Your story has power. People love stories so much, they'll pay $9 a ticket to go to the movies, plus the cost of popcorn and, and a drink and junior mints or whatever they want. I mean, they love stories. Jesus taught using stories. Most of his preaching was in the form of stories we call parables. Stories are compelling. Stories are memorable. My story a while ago ended, and most of you have already shut off your brains, right? Because the story's over. None of you remember anything I said last week. Don't feel bad. I don't remember anything I said last week either. But you'll remember the story I told you about Ken Davis for a long time. Stories are memorable. Stories are powerful. And your story the story of how you met Jesus Christ and the difference He's made in your life is one of the most effective things you have in drawing people to Him. So I want us to look at this man in John chapter 9, a man very different from Peter. We don't even know this man's name. A man who didn't seem to know much Scripture, had never met Jesus before, and yet he becomes a powerful witness of Him. So background on him, this is a man who was born blind in that world, in the ancient world. That meant in the eyes of his fellow uh, Jews, he was cursed by God. There was something wrong with him that God would treat him this way. Jesus proved them wrong. He walks up and he sees the man standing there. He, he spits in the ground. Some of you ladies are not going to like this. He spits on the ground. He picks up the mud that his spit made and he rubs it in the man's eyes and then says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man goes and washes, and he's suddenly able to see. Just as a side note, this is the only time Jesus did it this way. There were other times he, he healed blind people from a distance. He didn't need to do this. There's nothing magical about Jesus' spit. I think he did it. This is just my opinion. I think he did it to give this man an opportunity to obey. He gave him a job to do. He gave him a chance to participate in his own healing. Therefore, he would know, because I had faith in what Jesus said, therefore I can see. But the real story is what happened afterward. And that's where we pick up. Verse 8 of chapter 9. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. 
How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Let me just show you what's going on here. The Pharisees, of course, were seen as the holiest men. They weren't priests. They were ordinary businessmen type people, but they were seen as especially righteous because they had taken a code. They, they believed in following all the commands of the Old Testament literally. They memorized them. They were fastidious about obeying them. And so when they had a question, what do we do with this guy who's now able to see? They went to the men they respected most. And the Pharisees, you and I would expect them to be excited this man can now see. He's been blind up till now. Now he can see. But instead, they're angry because Jesus has healed him on the Sabbath. They're angry because Jesus has broken one of their laws. And I say their laws because God said in the Ten Commandments, you should keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't do any work. He never said you couldn't render medical aid. He never said you couldn't heal someone. You couldn't help someone. That's a rule they made up on their own. The Pharisees used religion to divide people and to separate those who were in the club from those who were outside. The, the, sep the Pharisees used religion to keep their hands from getting dirty. Jesus was all about getting his hands dirty. And nothing separated him from sinful people. So that's what's going on here. Verse 17, Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You know, we sang those words just a moment ago. There was this old slave ship captain from England, just an awful man, just reprobate in every sense. And he came to know Christ Nice, nice story. I'll tell you again. I'll tell you sometime in more detail. Came to know Christ, became a pastor, and wrote those words we sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This man, this, this man whose name we don't even know, he wasn't much like Peter that we studied last week. He had never met Jesus before. He didn't know the, the scriptural text that pointed to Israel's Messiah and fulfilled themselves in Jesus of Nazareth. All he knew was, I used to be blind, but now I can see. Here's how it happened. He told his story. And it cost him. Folks, I, I don't want to whitewash this. This man got thrown out of the synagogue by the religious leaders. They said, you're done. You're gone. You can't worship with us anymore. You're not one of us anymore. He lost his place in the community. But now he could see and he came across Jesus, and Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, tell me who he is. Jesus said, I'm him. He said, I believe in you, and he worshiped him. We're going to see this man in heaven someday. We're going to know his name. We're going to hear more details about his story. Did it hurt when he put the mud in his eyes? What were you thinking when that happened? What did it look like when first you saw, for the very first time, there were actual optical images going into your brain? What, how did your brain interpret that? We'll get to ask all those questions it's going to be a great story. 
he told us in brief all we really need to know. I once was blind, but now I see. And because he did, millions of people over the last 2,000 years have been inspired. Millions of people have heard this story and said, well, if Jesus can do that, I guess he can change me too. If Jesus can do that, I guess he can make me someone who can actually get things right and, and obey his, his, uh, his commands and, and live a, a good life that, that matters on, on earth. I, I guess if he can change this blind man and give him sight, he can change me too. People have been born again because of this story. So I have two questions for you. Number one, do you have a story of transformation? Do you have a story like this? Probably nobody here would say, I once was blind, but now I see literally. But you should have a story of how Jesus has changed your life. This is, this is something we can't emphasize often enough. Being a Christian is not about, well, I found a good church, and I'm going every Sunday, and I, I hear what the preacher says, and I guess I believe it. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is being born again. It's a new life. Whether it happens to you when you're little or whether it happens to you when you're old or somewhere in between, that's when you get saved. Is when Christ comes in and does a work of transformation in your life. Do you have a story? Do you have a story of how Jesus changed you? Like the Apostle Paul. Man, I used to be a persecutor of the church. I was out for Christian blood. And then Jesus confronted me face to face. And I've been forever changed. Can you point to and say, hey, this is how I know Jesus came into my life because here's the difference He made. Here are the ways I am different because of Him. Can you tell that story? That's what it means to be a Christian. Second question, are you eager for people to know your story? Are you eager for people to know? Because here's, here's the challenge I'm going to lay before you. Everyone who knows you well should know your story, your story of faith. Everyone who knows you well. I'm talking about your, your family, certainly. Man, if you're a parent and your kids don't know how you came to know Christ, what are you doing? What do you think your job is? I'm talking about the people you work with on a regular basis who work closely alongside of you. I'm talking about people who, who you consider close friends. They should know your story. They should know about you and how you came to know Christ and what difference He has made in your life. They should know. And if they don't, then why not? I mean, they know, they know where you grew up. They know where you went to high school and if you went to college, where you went to college. They probably know some goofy stories about you. Maybe if you're married, they know how you met your spouse. Shouldn't they know about the most important thing in your life? You don't have to be pushy just to tell them, hey, let me tell you something about me. What's most important to me? And you may say, well, they don't care about that. <laughs> they don't care about a lot of things you tell them, but you tell them anyway. They don't care about those crazy stories about your kids, but you tell them anyway, and you show them the pictures. Shouldn't you tell them about the most important thing about yourself? Now, I know we have excuses and reasons why we don't. Someone might say, well, I'm not a good storyteller, and, and that's okay. There are people, quite frankly, who aren't good, aren't so much good with the taking words and putting them together and making them come out of your mouth thing. But that's not what matters. What makes your story powerful isn't your skill as a storyteller. What makes your story powerful is that it happened to you and you're someone they know. Because the most powerful form of advertising is word of mouth, right? When someone you know endorses a product, 
that makes a difference. I watch TV. I see Michael Jordan endorsing underwear. It doesn't make me want to go buy underwear. I, I, see, it, I see a billboard, some, kind of, some brand of tidy whities I don't run out to Walmart and buy them. Now, if my friend comes to me and says, man, this is the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn, I say, do I really need to know that? But the next time I'm in the market, I'm probably going to consider what he said because he's a real person. And he said so. And I'm telling you, when you tell your story, it has far greater impact than anything I could say because they know you. You might say, well, I don't like talking about myself. And that's good. But this isn't talking about yourself. It's talking about what God has done for you. This blind man wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't bragging. He didn't say, I, I focused really hard and I could see. No, he's, he's talking about what Jesus did for him. I grew up with a guy whose older brother was a literal hero. He was driving uh, in Louisiana one day, you know, the Atchafalaya River Bridge, that long, long bridge uh, between uh, Lafayette and, and Baton Rouge that never seems to end. And, and he saw a, a car wreck, a, a semi-truck had an accident, and he actually saw the driver ejected through the windshield, burst the windshield with his body and fall over the rail of the bridge and down to the water below, 40 feet below. So my friend's brother stopped and saw this man down in the water, bloodied and barely conscious. He knew he was going to drown. So he and another person, who, another bystander, jumped over the side and rescued this trucker. And they appeared on one of those national news shows. Great, great story. But let me ask you something. What if, what if during that news story, they would have asked the trucker, hey, tell us what happened? And he would have said, eh, I don't like to talk about myself. Wouldn't that have been weird? I mean, wouldn't we have said, number one, that's the most important thing that's ever happened to you. Number two, you don't seem very grateful. This is not about bragging. This is about telling someone the best thing that ever happened and who did it. You might say, well, my story isn't very dramatic. And, and I used to think that way. I'm not a John Newton. I'm not an Apostle Paul. I grew up in a, a home where my parents were saved. My mom was the president of the WMU. Google it, millennials, if you don't know what that means. And um, my, my grandfather, my parent, grandparents were Christians. My grandfather was the chairman of the deacons and the men's Sunday school teacher. And so it was only natural that when I was nine years old, I walked the aisle and and got baptized, made sure it was in the summertime because we didn't have a heater in the baptistry. I mean, I was, but it was real. I mean, that, that really happened. And, and therefore, because I, I got saved early and because I had all these good influences on my life, I didn't ever commit any of those spectacular sins, right? I got plenty of sins. And I could tell you about them, but they'd put you to sleep. They're sinful as all get out, but they're boring. I never, I never got in any gang fights. I never killed anybody. I never, uh, never went to jail. I don't have any illegitimate children. I never struggled with addiction. I don't have any juicy stories. And I used to think, wow, man, I wish I at least did one really, really, you know, spectacularly bad thing so I'd have a good story. And then the Lord revealed to me, two things. Number one, it took just as much grace for God to save me as it did to save the worst murderer on death row. Blood of Jesus was necessary for my salvation too. And my salvation is a miracle. And secondly, my story didn't end when I was nine years old and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. That's the beginning of my story. 
And what Jesus has done in my life since then is, is the fun part, the exciting part. And that's the part I like to talk about, especially how he took me from being a person who never would have wanted to be a pastor to being a person who I wouldn't trade any job in the world for this job. And I'm not going to tell you that story now. You'll just have to wait. But, but it's, a, it's a story I love telling. The, the point is, you need to think, what is the difference Christ has made in my life? What is the exciting thing he's done for me? And how can I tell that story? So I want to tell you a really good story before we close. Because this is about a member of our church. She gave me permission to tell the story. She told me this last week, and I changed my sermon to include it. Um, when she was 17 years old, she left her home. She ran away from home. Good, godly parents, mom and dad, just solid Christians, ran away from home with a guitarist in a rock band. Sounds like a cliche, but it really happened. Six years later, she finds herself with two young children. This guy is kind of in and out of her life. And she's sitting in her apartment one night, you know, this guy, again, is begging to be taken back after he's run around on her for who knows how long with who knows who. And she's just thinking to herself, there's got to be something better. And she's actually praying, Lord, show me the way. I don't know a way out of this life. Now, back up a little bit. Her father, a godly man, worked at a chemical plant in Texas City. And there he was known among his co-workers as the religious guy, you know, the guy who would read his Bible on his lunch break, the guy who didn't use bad language, and they kind of made fun of him. And then one day, one of his co-workers, I don't know his name, so let's call him Bill, goes up to this man and says, you know, I always make fun of you, but my marriage has fallen apart, and I don't know what to do, and, and I just feel like I need to ask you, what can I do? And, and so this man, this young woman's father, shares the gospel with Bill. And Bill accepts Christ. And Bill is one of these people who once he buys into Jesus, he buys in 100%. He wants everyone to know. And so he's like systematically going through his contact list and telling everybody he knows about what Christ has done for him. And eventually he gets to this young man named Ray. And Ray is one of these guys who loves to party. Man, Friday and Saturday night and whenever else he can go out, there's lots of, lots of music, there's lots of late nights and, and empty bottles at the end of it, and he's, that's his life. That's what he lives for. But suddenly he hears the gospel, and he realizes there's more to life, and he accepts Christ as his Savior, and he's overjoyed. But he didn't have anybody to tell. And so he's thinking, who can I call? Who can I tell about this good news? And the first person he thinks of is this girl he used to party with, and so he calls her up. And that's the woman I started the story with. This 23-year-old girl now, young woman, sitting there in her apartment with her two kids and praying to God for an answer, gets this phone call, and, and she goes and she picks it up, and, and you, can just feel, you can just feel Ray's nervousness. He's never done this before. He's like, okay, I'm going to call one of my party friends and tell them about Jesus, and they're probably going to be like, yeah, whatever. So he calls and he says, um, listen, I just accepted Christ as my Savior, and I was wondering if you might be interested in doing that too. And she said, yes. Yes, immediately. I mean, it was like, this is the answer to my prayer. This is what I've been hoping for. God, you answered. And she became a new person that night. And anybody here know Connie Anthony? Because that's who I just told the story about, right? And she gave me permission to tell that story. And she can tell it better than I can. But I tell you that story for two reasons. Number one, stories are powerful. Your story may not be as interesting in your mind, but it's still powerful because God saved you just as much. Number two, think about this. 
when her father came home one day and saw that her, his 17-year-old daughter was gone had run away with this guitarist. Not that all guitarists are bad. Don't you know his heart was broken? And then he invested in a guy at work. And a chain reaction started that led to his daughter's salvation. So this isn't just about you. And it isn't just about the person who God's leading you to invest in. It's about what He can do when you tell your story. And only heaven knows. Only heaven knows the lives that will be changed. The lives that will be touched. All I know is in eternity, there's not going to be a single one of us who's going to say, man, I sure told that story too much. I bet people got tired of hearing it. I think the opposite will be true. Aren't you glad that Jesus invested in you?